the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 222. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed, the person, not the medical condition. And this is Froggy, the person, <laughs> or <laughs> the animal <laughs> that sometimes crosses the road. Also known as Stella, with a very, yeah. very, very faint voice. So, <laughs> despite all of the issues, including a massive problem with our website and... Uh, loading time and all of that we are here to bring you the news and comic book reviews from the weeks of april 16th through april 29th with a total of three books to cover including the button the first two issues of the button event um and a little bit of news and a little bit of whatever else we can actually get pulled up on the website so perfect, perfect. with that we're going to jump straight into the news and the first thing we've got is on april 17th solicitations were released for the month of July. July will be pulling some more dollars out of our pockets as Dark Days the Casting. The second installment of the Prelude Dark Knight's Metal will be released at the cost of $4.99. Nightwing 25 and Justice League number 25 will also be oversized and cost $3.99. Hmm. Those two titles uh, have also suffered changes to their arcs and creative team. Last month, the solicitation for Nightwing Red Blockbusters Part 3 and 4, but those have been pushed back to July, and Marcus Toe will no longer be the artist for them, with Miguel Medecona and Minkyu Young stepping yeah, into his place. Uh, while Nightwing has a schedule change, Justice League took a full turn. The only human arc seems to have been dropped, and now in its place is an arc called Afterlives, with a plot line similar to that of just the Justice League Dark animated movie we saw earlier this year. Also, it will be no longer illustrated by Fernando Perseron and, and Eau Claire Albert, but Andy McDonald. Over in Batman, we have the War of the Joke and Riddles continues, and with issue number 27 being the probable spot where the Kite Man special that Tom King mentioned previously. Um, the f- art for the issue will be done by David Gian Felice, I hope. That, that's perfect, uh, actually. Yeah. As the as for Detective Comics, we will see Zatanna joining the team in issue 960, but based off the solicitation, it's uncertain whether or not that will be for good or just for the one issue. Another female character making appearances will be Catwoman. She'll be showing up in both Birds, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, number 11, and Batgirl, number 12. Still on the female side of Gotham, the Many Arms of Death will be getting an epilogue with, uh, with art by Stephanie Hans in... Batwoman number five. As for the team titles, Trinity's arc changed its names from all along the watchtower to dead space, but the description reads the exact same. Titans will be getting another one shot with art by K. V. Ken Marion and Norm Rapamon, while Super Sons, Red Hood and the Outlaws, and Suicide Squads will all be starting new arcs. So we have the full list of the Batman books, the Greater Gotham books, and obviously the Greater DC stuff. Um, as far as guest appearances, Batgirl is going to continue to appear over in the pages of Supergirl in July as well. So you can take a look at the full list of the comics over on the site. All right. So then uh, the only other news that we have uh, on April 21st, 
Uh, it was announced that the Batman and Bill documentary that is a specifically dealing with the history of Bill Finger and how he relates to the creation of Batman, that is coming to Hulu on May 6th. Hulu announced that that's coming. Uh, so we can look forward to that on uh, May 6th as you're listening to this uh, episode. The, the the This will actually release on uh, the next day, Saturday, May 6th, that obviously Hulu is a streaming service if you're unaware uh, you can also obviously check it out any other day after May 6th as well. So take a look at that. I'm kind of looking forward to that. I don't have a Hulu subscription, but I'm definitely going to figure out a way to take a look at that documentary. Um, yeah, I, I do have Hulu. Do you, how long is this thing, this documentary? Is, is it a running only time about, There's no running time as of now, but I'm guessing it's right about an hour. Okay. All right. So then outside of that, there is a uh, DC All Access interview with Joshua Williamson talking about the button. Uh, in addition to that, Jessica has posted up two new uh, articles for This Week in the Batcave, all kinds of different things uh, to check out, including a bunch of art that some of the artists have been posting up. So check those out. Obviously, as you're listening to this, another one has posted up as well. Uh, so outside of that, that is all of the news. So we're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews. And the very first one we have is All-Star Batman. All-Star Batman number nine. Writer, Scott Snyder, artist, jock. This issue opens up with uh, Batman on a motorcycle being chased through the streets of D.C. Two men get on an elevator and end up at the top of the Washington Monument. Our friend here has shown Batman that the uh, three most likely ways for the world to end, referring to the three previous issues of this series. Uh, we then get to the top and see that this is uh, Ra's al Ghul um, with his trusty manservant. Um and Raish says that this monument used to remind him of a sword, but now it reminds him of a pen, a pen to write the story of Raish al Ghul. We then see him take a shot, and he seems to knock Batman off of the cycle into the river. Um, then we see Bruce kind of appear to the side and throw a bottle into uh, Raish's head. He's bragging about this great champagne wine type deal. Um, and we see that the figure on the cycle is actually Selena Kyle, who's fine, and is rescued from the river water by... Um, None other than Alfred. I'm assuming that's the Potomac. Uh, is plan to kill millions uh, because it's the only way for the human race to be saved. We've all seen this chestnut before. Um, he points to his long life and experiences proof of this, and that he knows this is the best thing for everybody. Uh, he tells Bruce that uh, he has sent a signal, and all over the globe, disasters are occurring. We see like flashings of like you know a nuclear power plant, things like that, and. And he's going to send from the top of the monument this beacon out and, and have the world kind of melt down and reduce the population a significant amount. Uh, we see Race defeat Bruce in hand-to-hand combat. They kill Duke with a single shot to the head, and the world comes crumbling down around us. That's it. Uh, no, actually, uh, we go back and we see Bruce reveals it through a combination of uh, Hatter slash Freeze, that's Ivy Tech, uh, that he's had uh, Race in a fantasy land for the last few minutes. Uh, we see that, that they've hacked the signal. They've warned everyone what was going on, and the world is safe. Rich gets picked up and taken away by one of his quote-unquote flying monkey servants. Um, Bruce tries to grab him, falls, but is saved from the fall uh, by a Blackhawk. Turns out that they are real after all. I feel like we have this conversation a lot, but it, it bears repeating. Uh, once again, we've seen a Scott Snyder version, an updated version. This time it's Rish al Ghul. What do we guys think of this version of Ra's al Ghul? And do you think that he is a dramatic difference from what we think of as a classical Ra's character? Well, I don't think that this is that big of a reimagining in any way. Um, I think that if anything, I mean, obviously Ra's has been 
Raish Raz. I, I get confused myself sometimes. I think the idea is that, you know, he's always about trying to purge the world in some way, shape or form. Um, it's interesting that they're going the route of, you know, a much more modern take using fake news as a way to essentially deal with, uh, you know, the society. And it, it actually relies heavily on the fact that, or the idea of fake news relies heavily on the idea that society is so technology oriented and um, gets their news from whatever avenue they, they, they choose to get their news from instead of deciding what a reputable source really is. So that being said, it's an interesting take. It's definitely more technological and less, you know, uh, I don't know what the word would be. It's, it's, it's not necessarily the, the bioweapon or a, you know, some, something that we've seen him potentially use in the past. It's not just about purging, you know, a small group of people that have a larger effect on, on a population or anything. So, I mean, like that part of it, you know, I see the, the modern take on it. I didn't necessarily have any issues with it, which is surprising because as soon as I saw that it was race and in the book, I immediately thought to myself, Oh boy, what are we going to see different this time around? But I think that for the most part, this was, this was actually, a, you know, just a little bit more of a modern take on a character, but not really messing with who the character really is. Yeah. I think it's one of those spirit of the law, but not letter of the law sort of situations where, Really, his belief system, I think, is pretty similar, um, that <laughs> humanity is a blight on the earth. Um, and then, but how he deals with it is different. And, um, when Dustin was saying, you know, I don't know what word there is for it, I was thinking, well, old school, really, old school tactics, um, being very natural about it. And I think now he's just sort of, um, come forward with the times and, and he's using <laughs> the best way possible to reach his, his end goal. Um, you know, as I was reading this, instead of Dustin, I guess, rolling his eyes and saying, no, no, what are we in for now? I was thinking to myself, oh no, here's another Ra's al Ghul trope. Um, and I recently had someone on, I guess it was kind of recent in the fall and when in my, on my show and Shiva pops up and he was rolling his eyes because he feels like Shiva's used too often. And honestly, I feel like I'm sort of sick and tired of Raj Al Ghul. <laughs> I feel like he's used so much. And even though we switch it up a little bit here, it's just the same thing over and over again. No matter how you play it, he's still trying to get rid of a vast majority of the population. And he wants to start over and he wants to sort of rule it his way. And you can, you know, dress him up in a different way, but it's the same thing. And I almost feel like he should go the way a Joker to a certain extent, and he should be put to rest for not kill him off, but be put to rest and and just let go for a little while. Because every time he comes up now, it just is like, oh, it's just like the last time. See, too much of a change. Obviously, technology is very different, but I think he's just rising with the times, and it works for him here. So, I do applaud Snyder of doing that. But I think we just need to put him to rest, put him out to pasture. Yeah, I mean, think about it. out of the the three monthly Batman books, Batman All Star and Detective. He's in two of them right now, or involved in two of them. So, it's a little penguiny from back in the New Fifty Two. He does seem to be around a lot. Um, I thought the update was fine. I, I kind of agree with everyone. He that what's already been said that it doesn't feel like a dramatic departure. 
Um, I do like the fact that he's just wearing a suit and not necessarily a green cape with a gold chain. I think that we can do without that. So if anything else, just updating his uh, mode of dress would be would be good. Um, the rest of it seems very, you know, like like Stella said, it does seem like this is a plot we've seen before. Um, I guess that's just his mo. Um, so yeah, there's not much put to put there. But every time we get a new version of a character, I am I am interested. Um, this was the last of this four part story arc. Um, now that we can kind of look back and see how this story progressed. Um, I know that we felt like in between each issue several times, there was gaps between the freeze issue and the Ivy issue. Um, and now that you see the story as a whole, I was just kind of wondering what you guys thought of this story. Now that we can look back on it and it's finished. When you look at it as a whole, it's, it makes a lot, it's a lot better when it's together. Um, but we have, I, I think we've all decided, we've all mentioned that yeah. uh, Scott Sanders work when collected is a much better read than individual issues. Um, and I think in some ways it kind of hurts, you know, the individual issue ratings when you only have basically one chapter of a story and, and he writes it in a way where it does really does, it, it does really feel like one chapter of the story, but you can't really judge the entire story just off of one chapter. Um, but knowing that, you know, now that this, the story is up and knowing how, you know, what his intent was and how all of those different villains were connected. I actually thought, you know, as a whole, the story arc was actually worthwhile. Um, it was an interesting take. He got to work with a couple of different villains that he hasn't worked with on a, you know, on any grand scale other than maybe just a cameo or in a book that his name is on, but he's not really part of the the main, you know, writing of the issues. So I think as far as that goes, the story as a whole, I think works really well. And, I think that, you know, it makes perfect sense. You know, I remember in the the last episode when we were talking about All-Star Batman, we were saying, like, so who do we think is the big bad? You know, who's it going to be? None of us thought it was Roz. And it's it's weird that we didn't think of it because Roz is actually one of the ones that actually makes the most sense, you know, thinking about it back after the fact. It makes sense that it would be Roz because he is much higher on the totem pole than these other villains at least as far as like the global scale of his, his reach, he's on a much higher level than all of the other villains that were shown, Mad Hatter, Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy. So that part of it makes sense, but I don't, I mean, it was a good, you know, in, in a way, a good, you know, switch out with the fact that, you know, I don't think anybody really knew that this was what we were going to get. So it also is just slightly coincidental that this it happened and in the pages of Detective Comics, Roz is also in Detective Comics at the exact same time. So hmm. overuse, maybe. But uh, overall, I think that uh, this story arc was worthwhile. I, I don't know if we'll ever get <laughs> overuse is an interesting term, especially because we've experienced it with Penguin. So I think two books, p- perhaps overuse is, it does not make um or two books does not make overuse, but that is interesting to put that together. Um, I didn't necessarily think about it that way since I'm, I kind of separate the books, which is interesting unless they're all tied together. As for this story, maybe it's me, but each issue, I have to really think hard about what has happened prior. And in this one, it really only helped me I think when Bruce himself was narrating sort of a flashback, unless it was um, Roz, but there was a bit of a recap page at one point talking about everything, all the the events that set in motion where we were right there at the Washington Memorial. 
Um, but this seems like rather than a whole story, which I guess was the intent of this issue to really piece it together. I feel like there were so many moving parts to it that it's almost like three distinct episodes and then kind of it, it comes together at the end. Um, so I, I don't know if I necessarily see it working well together. Uh, but again, it goes with what Dustin said that, you know, reading and trade, maybe you'd be like, oh, actually this was better than I thought it was. But, you know, I just feel like there's the freeze episode and then there's the Poison Ivy episode. And then I think there was the Mad Hatter episode. Now I have the Rachel Ghoul episode. And yes, of course, they're all tied together. Um, so I, I felt like this wasn't the strongest. But I did like moments in the story. I especially liked the Poison Ivy story because I thought that was really great. And I've grown to love Poison Ivy a great deal. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't. I just feel like this is made up of parts rather than a whole. Yeah, we also have some some skipping between each of the issues where there is some gaps there that aren't 100% filled in that I thought we would revisit, but we didn't. I think, yeah, I think the story overall is good. I think I think it's fine, but it, it does feel much more segmented than part one, two, three, four. It almost seems like four mini books that make up something. But it's fine. No, it's good. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. I just, I did feel that there was some separation between between each, each individual story. But other than that, I, I thought it was... Uh, Overall, pretty good, especially I went back and tried to reread it all at once leading up to this, and it it kind of ties in a little bit better, but there's still like, oh, we had a Mr. Freeze thing. Now he's out with Poison Ivy. Now So there is a, still a bit of, of chopping around there, but overall, I think it's good. All right, so All-Star Batman, I'm going to give a total of four out of five. Four out of five. Good work by Jock here. Three out of five. And over on the website, Corbin gave it four and a half out of five, so it's going to give Whoa. All-Star Batman a total of four out of five. Bad rings. Let's move into our next book, Batman slash The Flash with the button. Uh, Batman 21, The Button, Part 1. Writer Tom King, pencils and inks, Jason Fabuck, and colors Brad Anderson. It is Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals in hockey, and everyone's watching, including the inmates of Arkham Asylum. As the puck drops on a tied game, Saturn Girl starts freaking out, and <laughs> she starts screaming, This is where they kill them! <laughs> this is where they kill him. That's what she said, just screaming. Batman is also watching while contemplating the comedian's button. A brutal fight breaks out on the ice, and Batman turns off the screens and flips the button onto his desk, where it happens to touch Psycho Pirate's mask and creates a hole in the speed force, which reveals Flashpoint Batman, a.k.a. Thomas Wayne, but as a mere specter. Batman immediately contacts Flash, who is busy fighting a semeroid invasion, but he tells him that he will be there in one minute. As the countdown begins, literally each panel is a different second, the reverse Flash suddenly appears and begins beating on Batman and even tears up Thomas's letter in front of Batman, which was very emotional. Thawne should be dead, but the button seems to have woken him up. Batman knows he cannot win against Thawne, just delay him until Flash arrives, but for once, Flash is late. Thawne knocks Batman out, then grabs the button, which beams him somewhere and back just as quickly. When he returns, Thawne says that he saw God, in capital letters there, uh, and is aflame in blue fire and dies. 
Flash finally arrives, <laughs> finally, and finds Batman comatose and reverse Flash a mere skeleton. This then continues to the Flash 21, the button part two, script Joshua Williamson, art Howard Porter, and color hi-fi. In examining the cave, Barry sees everything that happened, but not who killed Thon. Batman, recovering from his injuries, mentions seeing his father and the fact that Thon was drawn to the button. And Barry mentions that he has seen visions, especially of Mercury's helmet, and it's given him a feeling of hope. Flash goes to the watchtower, planning to use something he swore he never would again, and that is the cosmic treadmill. Batman arrives and says he's going with him, and as they travel, they see different realities or timelines, and even a scene specifically taken from Identity Crisis, right when they're about to uh, mind wipe Dr. White. A white light engulfs them, and they end up in the cave of the Flashpoint Batman, and there's Thomas Wayne. I wondered if you had any thoughts on uh, what the connection was or what could the connection be between the button and Psycho Pirate, or at the very least, uh, the button and Psycho Pirate's mask. Uh, I have to preface this with my basic knowledge of DC Universe history, as well as the you know the specific events that are more DC-oriented and less Bat family oriented. I am, I have no problem admitting that I am not mo- the most well versed person. So when it comes to stuff like, for example, some of the stuff that's happened in these first two issues, I'm at a slight disadvantage because I don't know everything there is to know when it comes to that stuff. Uh, when you spend all your time learning everything you possibly can about the history of the Bat family and all of the members and all of that, you don't have necessarily the time you'd like to spend your time, you know, diving into the events. Now, that being said, my understanding from basically things I've read since the issue came out and excerpts from uh, commentary from the issues and things like that is that Psycho Pirate, um, it has something to do with Crisis on Infant Earth, and I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what it is, but that's my understanding. And it's something to do with he has the ability to like see into the different timelines or something like that. So that's that's the extent, and that's just me basically just knowing it based off of somebody else saying it. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, Psycho Pirate plays a central role in Crisis, uh, the first crisis on infinite earths he his mask allows him to see through the multiverse and also i I can't spend a while man but he can control certain parts of the multiverse but he has some multiversal powers um and trust me psycho pirate has always been one of those weird characters so yeah i'm pretty sure that that's that's kind of why that his ability to see into multiverses would mean maybe that the mask which allows which all of the psycho pirates uh, abilities come from is the mask um, maybe it reacts to the button because they're both. Maybe the button is, but well, it's definitely from a different universe. Maybe it just reacts to the button because it's not supposed to be there. Maybe the button has some inherent, you know, some inherent latent powers in it. Um, but I would guess that due to Psycho Pirate's skill set, which easily could have been retconned and changed, and I missed it. Certainly possible. I think it's his mask allows him for this power, and I think the button being from another universe is just reacting to that power. It's pretty interesting. I, I don't remember him from Crisis on Inf- Infinite Earths because it's been a while since I've read that one, but I do remember him in, in Infinite Crisis because that yeah. will always, <laughs> always remember his very, very gruesome death. Uh, and that's also one of the stories that got me back into comics. Um, but it's interesting to think, and, and I don't really know what the, the connection is yet. At first, when I saw that mask, I thought it was Dr. Fate's mask, um, which I was like, oh, oh, wow. And I was like, wait a minute, why would Dr. Fate's mask be there? And then I thought, oh, it must be Psycho Pirate's mask. But to think about this, 
um, how interconnected all these stories are, because if this is the point where they wanted to get to, we had to, you know, get to the whole, um, I mean, this has been, I, I guess the seed has been sown since the very beginning of Batman so far, uh, because that was really where all of that crazy stuff happened with Hugo Strange and everything. And then Batman getting the mask and all the big fight and everything. And here we are. So if that never happened, we wouldn't even get to this point and some other uh, contrivance, I guess, would have had to have been made. So leading to that, because there is such a connection uh, between Psycho Pirate and Crises, uh, and we also see different timelines as they're going through. We see a pre-Flashpoint story, Identity Crisis. Do you think we're leading up to another crisis? And as a result of that crisis, do you think that we're going to see a return of some of these past stories or perhaps a new timeline come out of this story? Do I think we could see another crisis? I mean, I guess it's impossible. I hope that's not the route they're going, though. Because the thing is, like, you have to, when we sit back and we think to ourselves, okay, this is clearly leading up to something with the Watchmen. They wouldn't be investigating the comedian's button if it had nothing to do with the Watchmen. There has to be something with the Watchmen. I mean, there are so many references just in the Batman issue alone to Watchmen. The nine panel grid on each page is very reminiscent of the original Watchmen comics. You have the button, you have the you know, the clock counting down the entire time, just like you saw in the original Watchmen comics. So, I mean, there's all these different, you know, throwbacks or, you know, mentions or references to stuff that's Watchmen related. And the thing is, I don't look at the Watchmen universe and think to myself, it's a humongous universe. Sure. It's a different world. And sure, there are characters, there's, there's characters that have plenty, they're, they're unique and can get that if they did come into the DC universe, that would be, you know, unique. But I don't know that like we would be looking at a position where it would be like a massive, massive crises. And I almost feel like we should actually not have a crises or at least refer to it as a crisis. Like if it's an event, I mean, it's going to be an event no matter what, but when it comes to it being a potential crisis, I don't want it to go that route because I mean, final crisis was obviously titled final crisis as if it was the last one flashpoint came shortly thereafter, which in its own way kind of was a crisis, but it wasn't, but it didn't name it a crisis. That's the thing. So my only hope is that, you know, obviously there are things that are going to shift. Um, but I feel like if anything, the shifting has already happened. So I don't want to see a new timeline come out of anything, you know, whatever ends up happening. I don't want to see a new timeline between the new 52, you know, back in 2011 and rebirth last year. I don't, we don't need another timeline. I don't want, you know, them to say we are going to make a definitive timeline. Blah, blah, blah. No, you can't do that because there's too many stories. I mean, they tried to say that that's what they were doing with the New 52. And if unfortunately, if they were going the route of they've been planning this the entire time, like I said, I will give them huge props, but that doesn't feel like that is what has ever was ever the case. The New 52 was meant to be an answer to something specific. It succeeded in, in, in one way by you know at least boosting sales for a short period of time. But eventually they realized they needed to get back to the heart of a lot of the characters, which was the classic versions of the characters, not these reimagined versions that they had. 
by doing that in the first place and creating the new 52 world and having, Oh, time disappeared or everything's condensed in this five year timeline. As they tried to explain, there's too many problems because then you run into, okay, so what, what still exists and what doesn't exist? Did no man's land ever happen? Did catechism ever happen? Did nightfall ever happen? I mean, like you have to sit back and you have to say like, did these things ever happen? And honestly, for the first like six months of new 52, that was all the questions that the writers kept getting whenever they would do interviews was so did this happen? Did this still happen? Did this still happen? And the thing is like Scott Snyder's like go-to phrase was every story that you ever loved still happened. And it's like, but that's not true because if you're adjusting things and you're telling your own version of the same events, you're not, you can't say that all of these things have already happened. I'm sorry, but I don't have a, I have a hard time believing that, you know, year one existed the way it does in those four issues back from the 19, late 1980s, but then zero year somehow is supposed to take place before that. I, it just doesn't work or take place after that. It doesn't work. So saying that everything takes, you know, everything that existed took place doesn't work. So anyway, I'm getting off track and I'm ranting about s- stuff like history as usual. Fact. But what my point is, I don't want to see another timeline. If, if anything, give us the explanation of why the timelines have shifted, you know, twice in basically six years or, you know, whenever they get around to telling this exact story, however long it's been since, you know, Flashpoint happened and the New 52 and then Rebirth. Tell us why it happened, but don't give us a whole nother timeline and try to tell us that everything happened in that timeline. I don't want to see that. Will we see some sort of, you know, crisis-like event? Yes. Does it need to shift the timeline? Please, please no. Here's the problem with that. I think it has to shift the timeline because they don't think they ever fix the timeline. I mean, when we had Rebirth happen and we had Wally come back and all that stuff, they said that it was stretching back out, but I don't think we ever really quantified what that meant. I don't think they ever really, I mean, yes, they made changes to it, but they never went back and said, okay, now Jason Todd is this age and we've had this much time between and Batman is now 32. Like, I don't think they ever fixed the timeline problem with Rebirth. I think they, I think Rebirth's only purpose was to set something in motion that would allow them to fix the timelines. As much as I agree with you, the constant carousel of timelines can get really, really tired. I don't, I think that all they've done is open the door and told us that they're going to do it. I don't think they'll call it a crisis. Maybe, maybe they will call it a crisis, but there's definitely something coming. I think that you're going to go back to the old school way of doing things, which is there is a bajillion. Mo- members of the multiverse. And on one of those earths, there's Watchmen. And on one of those earths is the new 52. And on one of those earths, this classic continuity flashpoint, pre flashpoint. Like, I just think that that's what we're going back to. And I think well, that although maybe not necessary, they will have some type of an event to bless this. And then we'll have a new quote unquote definitive timeline. I just don't think we have one now. I think it's too ambiguous. Um, I think that the events just started it but they're going to have to finish it. And they do love a crisis. So maybe they will call it, you know, if it was final crisis, maybe they call it penultimate crisis or final, final crisis. But um, yeah. But, but see, the problem is like, I understand what you're saying. Like they do have to get to a point where they say, this is how long time has existed or whatever. Right. You know, Batman's been in existence for X amount of years. Yes. Eventually they need to do that. But the problem is like, they tried to do that. I mean, like, that's exactly what they were doing in the New 52 to a point where they even started re-releasing 
uh, you know, not re-releasing, but they started that Secret Origins series, which was supposed to give the new definitive origins of all these characters. And then the origins were coming out and people were like, wait, what? Why are you changing so many things? Like, you're just letting the writer of the week decide you know, how things should be. And the problem is like, I don't think that's the way it should be. And, 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 and to, to say that they can't figure out a way to like adhere to the histories of the characters and yet incorporate newer elements of the characters. I, I, I know that that's entirely possible, but I don't know that, you know, on the scale that they tried to do it with the new 52, it was not successful. They failed honestly in pretty much every aspect of it with, uh, you know, trying to reintroduce characters in new versions, trying to ignore things that have happened in, in characters past and things like that. Like there's, there was too many problems. And like, I just look at it from the perspective of if they, you know, I would love for them to sit there and say, Hey, Batman's been around for 15 years. This is the breakdown. But like thinking about how they would actually go about telling that kind of story, if it wasn't just a, you know, one shot, here's the history of a character or a, you know, a secret origins issue where you're just learning about the history of the character through that. There's just thinking about even with the biweekly release or release, you know, two issues every month, thinking about how long it could potentially take for them to actually tell us this without it just coming out as a separate book that you could buy talking about the definitive history. I just don't see it being executed in the way that you really wouldn't need to. So that's why I'm saying I don't want it to see it happen. But like you say, yeah, eventually they will need to kind of straighten out some of this talk. This is what it is. Yeah. Well, because think about it, like Tim Drake's a perfect example. Which is this a lonely place of dying, Tim Drake? Is this the number zero Tim Drake? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's true. But I mean, I think that, that the problem is like stuff like that, I think, falls on the the writers that are currently writing the books and wh- what they decide to do. I mean, like, for example, you look at Cassandra Kane. you know, she was Batgirl previously. She then became Black Bat, then fell off the face of the earth during the new 52, during that run of the new 52, she reemerged in what uh, Batman and Robin eternal. She's around the reintroduced the character. She exists or and all of that and then then suddenly they decide wait we're gonna go to the route of orphan and we'll talk about this when we get to detective comics but now it seems like they're kind of like stepping back from that and saying you know what maybe we don't need to have her be orphan and they're trying to adjust it but still make it make sense within the story but think about how long this character has i mean detective alone the the character's been appearing in detective alone for a year and they're just starting now to try to unmuck one character think about how long it would take to unmuck an entire universe no, it would take forever yeah, yeah but i think that crisis <laughs> might be the best way to kind of mop the decks up i don't know i mean i just i, I mean that's that's their tried and true method <laughs> that, 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 yeah you're right that's their go-to that's their go-to move like everyone's got their go-to dancing move like for me it's the lasso this is them we muck up the timelines really bad what do we do we have a crisis. It's true. It's true. You're not wrong. You know, I mean, the only thing that, that I guess I, I, I mean, n- not the only thing I keep saying the only thing, but it's, there's so many things. Oh, the, yeah. Another problem with it is that, you know, final crisis to a degree, you know, I don't know that like looking at final crisis, it didn't actually feel like it adjusted anything, anything. Yeah. I mean, like there was things that occurred, but I look at final crisis and think that that's more of like an event um, crisis on infinite earth. On the other hand, that from what I'm aware of, occurring that was like timeline shifting type situation oh, they took infinite crisis the old school one was 
they used to be a multiverse. You know, Crisis on Infinite Earth said there is no longer a multiverse. And then we brought the multiverse back with Infinite Crisis. Yeah, I know that I there think, were certain characters yeah. that had adjusted, like Supergirl completely adjusted. New yeah. version of her was introduced. Classic Supergirl was killed in Crisis. So, yeah, I just... Barry, Barry Allen disappeared. Died. Then, well, I was just going to say that I feel like in a way we almost had a crisis with Rebirth. Um, like a mini, a mini crisis, because it did sort of transform things and change things and and make a new-ish timeline, depending on what book you're reading. Uh, But this, like, this just seems like, gosh, are we, if if this is going to have the impact that I think people want it to, and it might not just be Batman, but maybe Batman's a piece of the puzzle. And then, you know, a couple years down, I don't know, a year down the line or a couple years, and there are more puzzle pieces, and then all of a sudden we have this cataclysmic event <laughs> between the Justice League and the Watchmen or something uh, that I wonder if they aren't leading uh, to the to the crisis. I, I think it's interesting that of all images that they showed, uh, of course, they show the founding or the foundation of the Justice League, but Identity Crisis is, is one of the storylines that they showed and a very controversial scene from it, which I brought up in the last episode because we were talking about um, mind wiping and, and things like that. Uh, what do you think the impact is that they would choose this of all scenes to show as they were using the cosmic treadmill? Do you think that shows any? Is that a hint? Or could it just be a little like Joshua Williamson really likes Identity Crisis, so he decided to be that one of the scenes? I mean, do you have any thoughts? Do you think this plays into anything? I, I don't have enough knowledge of you know the Cosmic Treadmill outside of, I guess, the, the hint of a treadmill during the Flash live action series to know really what, you know, I, I, I know that he used it in Flashpoint. He used it to travel back and that that's what actually ended up creating the, the Flashpoint universe, if I remember correctly. Um, so, you know, I mean, I guess it's entirely possible that they are hinting at something. If anything, they are hinting at the idea that, you know, that timelines can still be messed around with. So, I mean, like, there's that aspect of it, but I mean, like, do I think that it was just thrown in there f- just to be there? No, I definitely feel like there, it's there for a reason. I just don't mm-hmm. know what it is because I'm not too familiar with, mm-hmm. you know, the use of the cosmic treadmill. Yeah, I, I kind of with Dustin. Although I understand the the treadmill, I mean, there's no way they just were sitting around writing the story. The button is a story that they've obviously had the higher higher ups have looked at it. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of stuff like we could read that. Nobody but the editor and stuff read it. But for the story that's this important, you know that Jeff Johns and Jim Lee all had, I'm not saying they wrote it, but they had input. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. they weren't just like, do a Watchmen thing. It'll be cool. You know, like, I'm, I'm sure they had some input in it. I can't imagine with as many people that saw this story or this, this storyboard before it was turned in to just went, throw a scene in there. Uh, what's that one? Uh, uh, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sure it's there for a reason. The, I mean, if you look at the, at the at the original Identity Crisis story, I think the biggest thing about it is kind of like a betrayal, the team betrayal unit thing there. Maybe they're going somewhere with that. Maybe they're going somewhere with, you know, the league's going to turn on itself type thing again. Maybe they're going somewhere with maybe someone as different people of the league are hiding a secret from everybody else. There's a lot of ways they could go with it. I agree with Dustin. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure 
they picked that scene for a reason. And it is interesting that's juxtaposed. I mean, if you think about it, because that was a very divisive moment where some people agreed with what Zatanna was doing and some people did not. And it's interesting juxtaposing that with the above image, which was, of course, forming this league, which is, you know, just a symbol of unity and, and under one cause of, of protecting people. So it could just be like an artistic thing of let's have, you know, a positive moment. Let's have a negative moment. Um, but, you know, it, the identity crisis is it, it is a title, perhaps a name only, but it is a crisis. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed seeing that because that's actually one of my favorite stories. But I wonder how it plays in, in the whole thing. But it almost gives me hope that certain pieces of the timeline from pre-Flashpoint will come back. But again, if you only have certain pieces, it's one of those all or nothing things because I think if you have certain pieces, it gets too muddy and you're like, well, what did you take and what didn't you? How, you know, what what elements of pre-Flashpoint are you going to pick and choose? So if they do something, I think they need to go all or nothing um, because otherwise it's just too hard and it's already tough because, you know, Dustin was getting off on his little thing, uh, which those are always fun, <laughs> but it just goes to show you how confusing timelines are no matter what they do. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but those are all the questions. I think we're just at the beginning. So it's very much a what if. And um, so I apologize for not having two substantial questions, but hopefully in the next round of issues we'll have more to, to talk about yeah and speaking of the next issue so the next issue is batman 22 uh as you're listening to this that issue is already out and we will review that on the next episode but the but that issue actually there were some changes tom king was supposed to be doing the script for that and for some reason something got changed last minute and he's actually just he's going to be getting you know uh the plot credit or you know the the credit that scott snyder sent to yeah. Yeah. the plotting and then uh joshua williamson is actually doing the mm. scripting for that issue and for some reason flash 22 which was supposed to come out the following week has been delayed one week um for whatever reason i don't know why they didn't really explain why other than it's just being delayed and the mention of it being delayed just happened to come out the same time that it was announced that Tom King's not scripting 22 next episode while we're, you know, the next episode, we won't actually even have the end of the button. We'll just have the next issue of Batman, which is just part three of four. I mean, you're dragging this one out on us, huh? Yes. The, the question I wanted to pose to you guys is we, we talked about this before going into the idea that the button was happening, but I want to, based off of these first two things, is there something that's actually going to be revealed, resolved, or is this just another piece of the slow burn? See, you're asking me a question that has two answers for me. One is what I want to happen. One is what I think is actually <laughs> going to happen. I would love for there to be some giant, drop the phone book on the ground, scream bonsai at the top of our lungs type moment where we get something definitive here, but I don't, I don't think it is. I mean, I, I would like to have, oh my God, this button relates to Psycho Pirate's mask because it's from another dimension, blah, 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 blah. This is what's going on. Oh my God, there's Watchmen. But I think that I could really see the last line of the story. And if I, if I nail this, by the way, I want, I don't know, soda, but like, <laughs> I don't know what I want. I don't know what I could get out of this, but like, I could totally see the last line of the story being something almost along the lines of, well, it raised more questions than it gave answers. Like, you know what I'm saying? Can't you see that? I, I just think that's what's going to happen. I hope I'm, hope I'm wrong, but that's, that's kind of what I see. Um, you should, for if you're right about that, mm. I think you should lead the, the comic cast directly following. Oh, 
Wow. Stella wants me to leave. No, no, lead. No, lead. Lead. Oh, lead. I'm like, lead it. If you're yeah, right, no. this is speaking to my <laughs> shoe. That wouldn't make sense at all. Oh, yeah. Congratulations, you're fired. You know, like, oh, lead it. Oh, yeah. See, enunciation does matter, friends. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think it's just a piece of the puzzle. I honestly think that we're going to get a couple more of these down the line and it's going to be cross character again. Because my question was when we first got this and in, in the solicitations and it's like, oh, and it goes into Flash. I was like, you know, Batman and Flash. Okay. What about the other people? Why Flash in particular? So I think there might be something else, like maybe Superman crosses over with, I don't know, a Green Lantern or something. And there's like another part of the, I think little pieces of the puzzle. And then, I mean, honestly, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a while slow burn. So. Yeah, and I probably feel, no, I know that I feel, I don't know why I said <laughs> probably feel. I may feel like this. I may feel like this. <laughs> yeah. I'm not real sure what my emotions are feeling. <laughs> But uh, no, honestly, I, I feel like it, this is just going to be another part of the slow burn. Yeah. I would love, I would love to have some sort of like massive reveal at the end. But like knowing that we're going into this, you know, dark days, dark night of nights event, uh, and that's literally going to be starting up in June. I don't know why in the world we would be, you know, jumping on to whatever the next step of the the Watchmen thing is, unless it somehow ties into dark days, dark nights. And I really don't feel like it is. I feel like those are two separate storylines that are just, you know, going at the same, you know, going along the same path. I don't feel like there's going to be any connection at all. So um, probably right, but still, but I mean like, yeah, I would love to have some sort of like massive, like, Oh crap moment where we're sitting there and, and, and basically looking at and saying, you know what? It makes perfect sense that they would, you know, just give us this little tidbit negative. Yeah. I, I just don't see, I just don't see that. So Yeah. All right. So anyway, that being said, uh, I am going to give we're just and just for everyone at home who's who's listening, we are only actually giving a rating to the Batman issue, um, even though Stella, you know, gave a, a brief cover of what happened in the Flash issue. We're only actually going to be covering the uh, Batman issue. So a rating, I should say. So so Batman, I'm going to give a total of ooh, three and a half. Oh, that's tough. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go three out of five. I thought it was uh, pretty interesting how it's laid out and like each panel is a second. Um, I thought that was cool. It was nice also to see Saturn Girl again, though I wonder yeah. if she'll ever play a bigger part than just being <laughs> crazy and screaming because this is the second time we saw her in Tom King's title. Um, I should have asked, do you think she has anything to play in the part ahead? Uh, but I'm going to give this 3.5 out of 5 as well. All right, so over on the website, Matthew gave it four and a half. And uh, just Whoa. just to cover it, because we did do a full recap of the Flash issue on the website, Matthew also gave that issue uh, of uh, Flash 21. He gave it four out of five. So you can take a look at a full recap of the Flash issue. Also, he dealt with a lot of the stuff that uh, was also in that, that room with uh, the Cosmic Treadmill, talking about the stuff that was going on there. Uh, so you can... Check that out over on the website. That being said, uh, we're going to give Batman number 21 a total of three and a half out of five Batarangs. Let's move into our last book, Detective Comics. (laughs) 
Detective Comics number 955, written by James Tynion IV, art by Marquio Takara. Uh, Cassandra Kane, the orphan, daughter of the assassins David Kane and Lady Shiva, are standing over the harvest of unconscious ninjas. Now, I just want to take this moment to say, last episode, we were talking about whether or not those ninjas were dead. Uh Someone specifically asked Tynion on Twitter, and he said, no, they're not dead. They are not dead. They're 100% alive. So yeah, feels like you're killing them, though. I mean. Yeah. I mean, I think it honestly was like an art. It was an art mess up because I think there was just a little too much blood. It looked like they were Uh, killing them. Yeah. All right. Anyway, the two times uh, the the two threads interweave with uh, Christine Monteclair, the ballerina from Detective Comics number 50, reading Cassandra's story of a girl who thought she was a shadow in the past and the struggles of Cassandra and the rest of the team in the present. Kate Kane, Batwoman, wakes up stripped of her uniform and geared, skewered and chained to next to a nuclear device, which will crack the fault line other under Gotham wide open. Luke Fox, Batwing, Jean-Paul Valley, Azrael are chained next to her with Clayface imprisoned in multiple jars around them. Though Jean-Paul thinks that they are in hell surrounded by demonic ninjas, Luke has faith in Batman. Shiva brings Batman down to the nuclear room to chain him up with the others. Before she can finish restraining Batman, her soldiers tell her that Cass has come. Over a magnificent magnificent sequence of cast taking down every, nearly every ninja in the League of Shadows by herself, we hear Christine reading the story in the past. The story intertwines with the themes of Cassandra's isolation during her childhood, training and, and abuse, and her desire to make the world a better place. When Cass wakes to hear Christine reading, the dancer apologizes for her fear several issues ago. Cass denies she would ever kill, and Christine tells her that her movements, tracked by the website Spoiler Alert, shows someone who is good, not evil. Cass is crushed when Christine asks about her mother, and Christine embraces her, insisting that she's not broken. Through the story, Christine tells Cass that there's room in the world for someone like her, someone who can't be normal, but also refuses to be the killer her father shaped her to be. We see Cassandra triumphing in the present and in the past. She tells Christine that her name is Cassandra Kane, rejecting the label of orphan for now. Aboard the colony helicarrier, Ulysses, also known as the General, summons Jacob Kane to let him know that in between trying on his stolen Red Robin costume, he's created a nano swarm that acts like a targeted napalm, which could destroy the underground League of Shadows without destroying Gotham City itself. Before we find out Jacob's decision, the scene switches to Shiva, approaching her daughter as she finishes defeating the last of the ninjas. Though Shiva claims she's not impressed by Cassandra's refusal of the purpose that David Kane instilled in her, meaning killing, Cassandra knows better through her understanding of body language. She tells Shiva that she does not stand alone. When Shiva tells her she will always be alone, Cass kicks her in the head, giving Batman and the team time to assemble behind Cass. The first thing is, uh, I mean, obviously, without the confirmation from Titan himself, obviously the issue shows that she's not actually killing the ninjas, not not necessarily showing, but like you know the fact that Shiva's saying you're not killing, that's wrong, blah blah blah. Uh, it, it just further cements the fact that she's not killing. Although I do feel like before the trade comes out for this, they should clean up that art to make it look like they're not so bloody. But that being said, this idea that she's getting rid of the name Orphan is it setting up the fact that she could potentially become Black Bat or a new alias of some sort. If the it- <sighs> Okay, I, I I have a definitive opinion about this. If they change her name from, I get the orphan name, 
I read the one million page Batman and Robin Eternal storyline. Although it didn't make a lot of sense. It didn't. It just didn't. Um, I get the fact why his name is Orphan. Okay. But if you're going to change it, it better go to Black Bat. Because to change it to some of, something else, doesn't that start reeking of you're just giving me the finger to give me the finger? <laughs> I mean, I get it. You came up with another name. But if you, if you change names and it doesn't go to Black Bat, you're just being purposefully mean to people. So it should go to Black Bat. And I think it would also show her allegiance 100% to Batman because Orphan is in a way still very much tied to her parentage. And she's even though she wants a connection with her mother, I think she also is rejecting that connection because she's not following the rules as Shiva is laying out. So in giving up that orphan identity, I think she's severing ties. She's becoming her own person, but she's also showing uh, her love and allegiance to Batman. So I'm hoping also that it's Black Bat. I also am with Stella there with the idea that if it goes to Black Bat, it's showing that she is 100% on Team Bat. I never liked the orphan name in the first place. The explanation of using the orphan name, I never thought made a whole lot of sense. Like she's embracing the fact that she is an orphan and that she's, you know, she's declaring herself free of her parents, but yet she's still holding the name orphan, which her dad held the same name when, you know, working for mother. None of that made any sense to me. I never understood why she would take that name other than just as a way to, and and like, I could see this only one way. She takes the name so she can basically spit in the face of the memory of her father by showing that she is orphaned, but yet doing the exact opposite by not killing like he did. That's what I could see. But the problem is she's not the type of character to do that. That would be like a Stephanie move. Stephanie would do something like that to purposely spit in the face of her father, not Cassandra. That's just not the way she's been portrayed. So that's the only way it would work. That being said, the orphan name, if it goes away for good, I'd be completely fine with it. I don't like it. I don't want to have to call Cassandra it. Um, But if it does, if they do go the route of naming her something other than black bat, I would say that's really dumb and pointless because that means over the course of this character's history, she will be, she will have been Batgirl, Black Bat, Orphan, and then whatever this new name is. Insert name four here. names yeah. in like in less than twenty years. So I mean, like, it doesn't make any sense to have you know to go that route and, and decide to do a different name. Just do Black Bat and leave it at that, and even maybe make some updates to her costume or something instead of you know I, I don't know. There's a bunch of different ways they could go. I just hope they go the route that we all want them to go, which is go the Black Bat route. The other thing I want to talk about is um, the Jacob Kane at the very end. Um, it was interesting that uh, that the general suddenly is like, oh, by the way, we could just take out the swarm with these. Uh, we could take out the league with these nanobots that I have that, you know, are like little tiny bombs that we can, you know, perfectly take out specific targets. But that if he had that exact same technology and he's not saying he did, he's saying it's something new. But if they had the same technology in the first story arc, we would have never been in the same situation. Tim Drake would have potentially still been alive. All of that would have been completely negated if he had this exact same technology back then. And I, it's one of those things where I want to get your guys' thoughts because for me, it feels like they're kind of like ruining the, you know, the idea of the first story arc. But in the same, like saying that they could essentially do exactly what they wanted to do by take out the taking out the League of Shadows like they wanted to do in the first story arc. But now, instead of all the collateral damage that was the main reason why Jacob Kane ended up getting locked up, captured by Batman, you know, uh, disgraced, in, you know, in, you know, to his daughter, 
because of the fact that he was completely okay with taking, you know, all this collateral damage, but now they have the ability to get rid of the entire collateral damage aspect of things. Doesn't it seem like it's a little just too convenient? Well, the note I have here is let's the plot off the hook. Think about it. Isn't the far more interesting story here? Will Jacob make the same decision again? Okay, did you learn anything? We 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 have to use these bombs. We can stop the league, but we got to kill everybody. Isn't the far more interesting thing here to have Jacob make the decision to not do the collateral damage, uh, go in fighting, somehow re-earn a degree of trust and love from his daughter? Wouldn't that be the way to go? Like this feels like it's it's softening up what, we, what could be an interesting part of the plot. So one would assume that they, they didn't have. I mean, one would hope that they didn't have this technology when we made the first decision to just start indiscriminately part starting dropping bombs in a major city. You know, remember Tim only brought all those bombs together. They were supposed to be all over the city of Gotham. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so it should have had, you know, one would hope that they did not have this technology at their disposal. Um, and I mean, I could just say anything about it. So I do want to put it in here. The uh, general character's weird fetish, fetishing of putting on Tim's clothes is just creepy. It is. Yeah. And it's funny because I was just talking about this to somebody. But do you remember in Captain America 3 Civil War um, where Bucky and Sam are fighting Spider-Man? And then I can't remember specifically what um, Bucky does, but say, like it basically takes him out. I think it was like some sort of electronic zapper or something. And it takes Spider-Man out and Sam turns to him and says, couldn't you have done that earlier? <laughs> so yeah, right? yeah. Th- that, that's the thinking here, right? That if you had this all along, why were you delaying and, and why didn't you use this earlier? Uh, so we can go with Ed's line of thinking that it wasn't ready yet. Uh, it, uh, maybe it was like a 1.0 and it needed some changes. Um, but realistically, oh, to quote Dustin, realistically, <laughs> um, it, it's it was just a narrative uh, slip or fumble, I think. And uh, they, they brought it back in because it is a little strange that all of a sudden now they can do this. Yeah, because to take Stella's point there, like my, even my idea of it wasn't ready yet isn't a very good idea. Because think about it, if you're like, well, we're going to have to bond the city. You go, well, I got this thing I'm working on. It'd be ready in like a couple of weeks. You could wait or maybe you could do some, you know, exactly. like, yeah. like there's a million reasons why that doesn't. The only alternative would be that this general guy had it and was just a complete ass and knew he had it and was like, I just didn't bring it up. You know, so I think it's a, I think it's, it's more like Stella said, it's a mess up where they probably didn't put the two together. And afterwards, probably a bunch of people brought it up and they probably went, yeah, kind of screwed that up. I don't like doing the, going the route of just letting the plot go with it. Um, because I feel like in some ways the writer should, you know, acknowledge the fact that, you know, it, it's one thing if you do it and the writer figures out some way of to say, hey, you know, we can do this this way because we couldn't do it like this before, you know, acknowledging the fact that, yes, it's the exact same thing, but they're changing it. Um, that doesn't feel like that's the case here at all. Um, but, yeah, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, the, 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 the only other real thing that I wanted to just quickly touch on is, is it just me or does it feel like Cassandra, who was taken down by Shiva – and and I, this is an honest question because I'm not trying to like this isn't a loaded question by any means. Cass refused to take down Shiva in a you know a lethal way, which caused Cass to lose to Shiva twice. 
yet somehow conveniently Cass is able to take down every single ninja she comes across from the League of Shadows, which I would assume, yes, none of them are going to be nearly as good as Shiva, but collectively they should at least be on par with Shiva. How is it that she's able to just miraculously get through all of these, especially with knowing the fact that she's not killing them, she's just taking them down, Isn't doesn't it just feel like a little too convenient? Yeah, but... To play devil's advocate, there's a lot of stuff in comic books you could take. Like, that. you That's know what I'm saying? That's like, true. Like, there's a lot of times where Batman fights 20 guys, and you're like, nobody got a got a blade between his ribs, really? Like, you know, I mean, like, yes, it is. I I I agree, but I don't I don't think it's any more of a sin than stuff we see regularly in comics. Again, not that's forgivable, but I think that's just part of the medium. It's true. And. We just saw that too, right? Remember that fight in Santa Prisca where there was that whole horde of, I guess they were security guards or whomever. Yeah. And he just takes them down. You know, I think of it this way, though. The foot soldiers are in no way as capable as a shredder and his minions. And so I sort of just see them as that or, you know, the putty men, the the putty aren't as good as, you know, Rita Repulsa or who or Lord Zed or whomever is in charge at the time. So I, I guess I don't even see them as on par. I mean, certainly they're trained, but they're, I, I think they're just a couple tiers down. And so, yeah, she just got the best of them. I guess I could look at it like that too. All right. Anyway, <laughs> so detective comics, Boom. I'm going to give a total of four out of five. Uh, three and a half. It's good. Uh, three and a half out of five. And over on the website, Ian gave it four and a half out of five. So that's going to give Detective Comics a total of four out of five batterings. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's jump over to the site for Greater Gotham. First up, on April 19th, we have, as we already talked about, Batman number 21 and All-Star Batman number 9. Next up, Nightwing number 19. Damien has been taken by Dr. Hurt, and Nightwing must save him while protecting Sean and having to face Deathwing again. Zoo by David, he gave it 4 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Abstain. Neutral. Batwoman number two. Batwoman faces the assassin known as the Knife, who might be the connection between her past and the many arms of death. This is reviewed by Jessica. She gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Harley Quinn number 18. While Harley deals with cannibals in the front part of the issue, we take a trip back to the past as Joker pulls a job on New Year's Eve with Harley in tow. This is reviewed by David. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Abstain. No secondary TV books, main DC Universe books, Super Sons, number three. Superboy and Robin have to fight their way out of a forest infested with Kid Amazo androids, even if it takes, even if what it takes to end the fight is fighting each other. This is reviewed by Jessica. She gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Abstain. Thumbs up. Trinity number eight, while retelling a dream in which he fights the new 52 version of himself, Superman begins to think the Trinity is caught up in a plot to warp the very realities of the multiverse. 
Zoo by Bill. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Justice League number 19, while the League is able to subdue superpowered Molly, Vincent and Alexis of the Infinity Incorporation figure out a way to subdue Tempest. This is read by Jim. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain slash thumbs down. <laughs> How can you do that? I started reading it, and halfway through it, I'm like, I don't care about this story, so I quit reading it. <laughs> Wow. Um, uh, Sorry, abstain. I was just so taken (laughs) aback by that. Secondary DC Universe books. uh, Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Number seven, the Dark Knight Rises version of Bane appears in a single coloring page inside the issue. Injustice Ground Zero, number 10, digital chapters 19 through 20. The Injustice versions of Joker and Harley appear. Harley also makes a new group called the Harley Horde. And then Superman number 21 with Batman missing from the last issue. Damien is stuck searching for him with Superman and John Kent. Moving over to April 26th, we already talked about Detective Comics number 955. Batman Beyond number 7, while trying to be normal for a bit, Terry ignores countless calls for help due to the League of Assassins' attack on police headquarters. After heading to the fight and going a bit too far, it is revealed that Ra's al Ghul may still be alive. This is by Jim. He gave it 4.5 out of 5 and give this one a thumbs up. Abstain. Thumbs up. Batgirl number 10, after facing off against Penguin, Barbara deals with some home drama with Frankie and Alicia before investigating her ex, Ethan, further as he becomes the villain Black Sun. This is written by Ian. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Oh, this is another. I got conflict here. Neutral. Oh, my gosh. Thumbs down. What? Really? I'll tell you about this a little bit here. Uh, first of all, we ha- w- there are some weird things that don't make sense, uh, but you can listen to my show if you want to get to know that. Uh, first of all, Ethan all of a sudden decides to break up with Barbara for whatever reason and then also spy on her. Second of all, Dick Grayson happens to be on his motorcycle right underneath her window. Who knows about that? Third of all, <laughs> at one point, Barbara says, um, he didn't mean to hurt me. He just meant to scare me. When has when did Barbara Gordon turn into that person who excuses his or her significant other for beating them, potentially. Uh, terrible, terrible. It, it, I'm glad the relationship's done and she's actually going after him, but th- this issue has some major problems. But you can check out Backgirl to Oracle episode 139 for more details. All right. Then Mother Panic number six. Pretty comes after Violet despite Mother Panic attempting to save the day. It's her mother's rat tenants who save the day. This is you by Jerry. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Uh, neutral. Abstain. Uh, secondary TBU books, Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman 77, number four, digital chapter seven through eight. Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, and Catwoman take on Roz and Talia on Paradise Island. And while Roz escapes, escapes, Talia is left behind because she can't bring herself to take down Batman. This is by Jerry. He gave it four to five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Neutral. Neutral. Batman the Shadow, number one. While speaking to Henry Ducard, Batman recounts an investigation into the murder of Lamont Chris Cranston while uncovering another person going by the same name and acting as a ruthless vigilante known as the Shadow. This is by Paul. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. It's brilliant. 
abstain. Main DC Universe Books, Teen Titans number seven, as the team struggles to take down King Shark due to Damien's lack of leadership skills, Jackson Hyde emerges as a new member of the team. This is by Josh. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Neutral. Thumbs up. Justice League of America number five, after the, after the JLA hold a press conference declaring their transparency to the public, they head to Penn City to deal with a cartel that is controlling the city. This is by Paul. He gave it two out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Suicide Squad number 16, Waller sends the squad to break into Lex Luthor's vault to steal kryptonite in order to control General Zod. Despite the task at hand, Lex offers kryptonite to Waller despite the mess the squad caused. Survive Corbin, he gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Uh, Thumbs up. Abstain. And then, uh, as we mentioned earlier, The Flash, number 21, Matthew gave it four out of five. Secondary DC Universe books, Action Comics, number 978, Batman makes a brief cameo, Guardian, the Fortress of Solitude, and Teen Titans Go, number 21, digital chapters 41 and 42. Dick Grayson's Robin appears as a member of the team. As far as trades and hardcovers that have released in the past two weeks, we have All-Star Batman, volume one, my own worst enemy hardcover. Batman Volume 10 Epilogue Trade Paperback, Justice League of America The Silver Age Volume 3 Trade Paperback, Batman Two-Face Face the Face Deluxe Edition Hardcover, Red Hood and the Outlaws Volume 1 Dark Trinity Trade Paperback, Justice League Volume 2 Outbreak Trade Paperback, Justice League Unwrapped by Jim Lee Hardcover. So you can take a look at uh, all the expanded reviews of all of those other Greater Gotham books. Uh, Now we're going to dive straight into our listener Q&As. In order to give Stella's froggy, froggy voice a, a breath, mm-hmm. I'm Thank going you. to I'm going to read through these these uh, these comments. Our first comment comes from Jerry. Another terrific podcast. That shamanization was my fault. As far as I know, I made it up. Feel free to use it however you wish on the show. Name your kids, whatever. The pronunciation would be shaman shaman ization. As far as I can tell, there are lots of entertaining ways to mispronounce it too. Fun for the whole family. On your discussion about Tom King, he has terrific concepts, theoretically, and writes great moments. Race number 12, where Dick is reunited with Damien, who thought he was dead, was an amazing issue. Gotham Girl and Gotham have been could have been good. But the long-term plot execution isn't there. DC should team him with someone who is good with plot and structure, but needs imagination. Finally, so sad about Gotham Academy. This was my favorite. This is slash was my favorite comic. I hope if they do comic crossovers, they keep all of maps and palm line together with their pal, Catherine Carlo. Ian prime and myself have been talking about how Clayface's daughter could be a great addition to a team. The relationship between the four could be developed into a classic or a CW show. Okay. So hmm. as far as your comments, I will say that the idea of teaming Tom King with somebody who is much better at plot execution, that makes perfect sense. Yes, I think please. that's kind of what they did with Grayson to a degree. Um, but you can actually, if you really, really dive into those issues, you can kind of tell which issues were structured by one person and which issues were the, you know, the ideas were coming from the other person because there is some very, very disjointed flow in some of those Grayson issues. Um, but yes, uh, Tom King should have been actually teamed up with somebody. I think he does have awesome ideas. I just don't think that, I don't think the, he does, I just don't think he does, he, he, he executes 
things as well as they should be. Like, honestly, the idea of Batman having his own squad, Suicide Squad, whatever, that was an awesome idea. But the idea was overshadowed by this, we're going to creep through the freaking sewers of Santa Prisca Break your Cat- back. While, while we decide whether or not Catwoman is actually a murderer and is betraying Batman the entire time. Um, instead of the fact that he had this awesome team that he could have utilized. Um, so, and that's not the only one. I mean, you know, just I am Bane, the I am Bane storyline alone, you know, has has multiple problems with not kind of dealing with some of the major things that people were interested in seeing resolution to. So, yeah, I at least want to comment on the goth. Oh, you go ahead, Ed. No, oh, you go ahead. Probably connected to uh, Dustin. It didn't. Oh, I was just going to say, I thought Gotham Academy may be a good CW show, actually. Well, I'm going to disagree with you because I think CW what? would mess it up. Well, because basically because of CW, uh, if I haven't watched it, but since the pilot, um, I, I've only seen the pilot of Archie, but it's not Archie, you know, it's like pretty little. Li- yeah, it's pretty little liars meets, you know. Archie. It has but I think with they Archie ruined it. I think they ruined it. Um, I think it looks horrible. So to put Gotham Academy there, I think they would just sex it up and it would ruin it. What I would like to see, however, is like a Cartoon Network animated show, which I think could be great because something like Mystery Incorporated, which was an awesome imagining of Scooby-Doo. Uh, so I would actually prefer to see it in animated form. And I'm hoping maybe... I'm hoping maybe they will um, continue to do crossovers, maybe with Lumberjanes or Boom Studio things or, or lighter like kids stuff. Uh, you know, with that, I think would be great. Well, you know, they got the um, DC Comics that's starting to get digital. Yes, platform. I was actually just about to bring that up because I really want to talk about that for a brief moment, and it kind of ties into what you're talking about. But before I can do that, I have to also comment on the Riverdale uh, point that you made, Stella. The so, garbage. So here's the thing, I I saw the trailer for that show and immediately thought to myself, Oh crap. They definitely, they, they did something they should have never done. And I don't know. And I can't sit here and honestly say, this is exactly how they should have done it. And it should have been like this instead of this, because I don't really know how you could have actually made the Archie comics successful. Like, you know, on an ongoing basis. It's, it's just, it, it's like, I, and I, and I will say this, I don't read Archie comics anymore. I did read a lot of Archie comics when I was a kid, I had tons of little digests, the double digests. I had tons of those. And I actually read Archie comics way before I ever read any Batman comics. Really? And yes, that's true. Because I, I got your Archie gateway comics. drug. I got Archie comics when I was much, much younger. I didn't get Batman comics until I was like seven or eight years old. But when I was in first grade, I remember having Archie comics because they were always in the, you know, when you go to the checkout lane, they were always there. And every once in a while, my mom would, be okay yeah, you can get one of these and then i read it forever because it took me a while to read when i was that that old but anyway the thing is i don't know how it, how could they could have made a show about archie successful but the problem is i did watch the first episode and i watched it with my wife and the entire time i was watching it i just kept thinking to myself i feel like an old man oogling young women and it feels so wrong because like they are clearly supposed to be being portrayed as high schoolers the actresses who were actually playing the characters. And I will admit when I was a kid, I had a huge crush on, on, uh, on Betty. I was always, really? you were a Betty guy, huh? That's how, yes, I was. Really? And I always had a thing for Betty over Veronica, but I still thought they were both attractive the way they were drawn. And the thing is like watching the show, I thought to myself, 
I don't know if this is really like, I don't know, like obviously they're going to have the love triangle. That's, that's a given that has to happen. But the problem is like watching that first episode, I kept thinking to myself, like they're sexing these characters up way too much for characters who are supposed to be like sophomores in high school. And I just feel like kind of like dirty watching this because I don't really want to look at people who are supposed to be sophomores in high school and think to myself, yeah, they're attractive because it just feels wrong. One from what my experience from Riverdale is it definitely should have been set in college. I like, yeah, that would work think, a lot make a lot more sense. I think that it would have been more appropriate set in college. I have watched it all the way through because my daughter really enjoys it. It's the show that we watch together. It's not a great show. Um the last episode, you guys aren't watching it, just had a, a drunken house party that would have been borderline acceptable for college students, but completely unacceptable for high school. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think they bollocks it up by not putting in college, but it bears absolutely no resemblance to Archie comic books at all. Other than just the characters existing. Well, just because they're names, but their characters aren't the same. I mean, one would argue that Gotham has this similar problem, you know? Everyone we we go there. Yeah, that there is names that don't line up the characters. So, and I was always more of a Cheryl Blossom guy than either Veronica or. Oof, oof. Yeah, I know. Anyway, all right. So, getting to the DC streaming service. So, if you haven't ha- haven't uh, kept up with the news, DC recently announced uh, that they are going to launch a streaming service next year in 2018. There's no word exactly on when it will launch, but. Uh, there's a couple of things and I, I want to talk about this because I, this is going to be like off topic discussion briefly uh, because it's something that I keep talking about with my wife and keep saying, man, I wish the normal podcast was around so I could discuss this. Yeah, and, I keep, and, I, and so anyway, so basically the, I, the, what was announced was they're launching a streaming service. It's going to feature DC properties, no word on the extent of what will be featured other than they said there's going to be two shows that will be exclusive to the streaming service. Uh, Young Justice Season 3 will be on the streaming service as well as a Titans live action series, which had previously been announced for you know TNT? Some, for something. TNT, yeah. Uh, something that TNT was looking to do with Dick Grayson in the role of, of uh, Nightwing, but being leader of the team along with uh, potentially Oracle appearing on the show. Um, there's all kinds of rumors about a number of the Birds of Prey members being part of this team as well and having the interaction between the Birds and, and Dick Grayson. There's all kinds of different rumors that had come out at various points. But ultimately what ended up happening was TNT announced back in January that they ultimately had passed on it after basically saying that they were looking at doing it for whew, a good like year and a half. For a long time, and it just, yeah. It just never panned out. Um, when they announced the streaming service, they said that Titan series, which was originally meant to be that, I mean, they didn't say it, but it was originally going to be the same series because it's literally all of the same showrunners that were doing the show for TNT. Um, that show is going to be exclusive on this on this stream service as well. Now, there's no word as to what else will be included on the streaming service. And as we get closer to 2018 and the actual release of this, then we'll see more of what's going to be on it. Obviously, there are plenty and like massive amounts of DC property stuff. Uh, I mean, you could you could throw in Smallville, you could throw in uh, Lois, Adventures of Lois and Clark, you could do the Birds of Prey live action the, series. Yeah, the you old do, stuff. Yeah, you could do all the old stuff. You could do the Flash, old, you know, series. You could do uh, Plus going all the back to the George, George Reeves Superman stuff, the animated movies, the animated 
TV series. All, there's tons of that stuff. Um, and then there's obviously the, the DC animated original movies, the other animated movies. You've got Batman movies, Superman movies from, you know, going all the way back to the seventies with the Superman movies. There's animated cartoons that, you know, Hanna-Barbera did and uh, Ruby Spears did for Superman and filmations, uh, Superman stuff. There's tons of stuff that they could do. Now, the reason I want to talk about this is recently Warner Brothers launched another streaming service called Boomerang. And the idea behind Boomerang is that it it, uh, has a number of like a, a, a catalog of a bunch of old cartoons including Looney Tunes, Scooby-Doo, uh, Tom and Jerry, a lot of uh, Hanna-Barbera stuff like Smurfs, Wacky Races. Um, and they have over time, they're, they'll release more and more to the streaming service or roll out new stuff and put in old stuff. But one of the things that when they announced Boomerang was they said that they were going to have exclusive things to the network when it launched too. Now, Boomerang released about three weeks ago as you're listening to this. I signed up because I love classic cartoons and I love my kids watching classic cartoons compared to the new stuff. And I mean, like there, there's definitely room for growth, but one of the things that they've done is cartoon network, as we all know, has screwed over multiple animated shows by specifically the bat, you know, the DC stuff by canceling series like young justice and green lantern, the animated series. So good. And then, and then having shows like Beware the Batman where they just stop airing it completely and then end up rolling the episodes in the middle of the night on a Saturday night where nobody's ever going to watch them. And now, even now, with Justice League Action, which is exactly in the format that you would you could tell that somebody at Cartoon Network dictated, well, we want 15-minute episodes, not 30-minute episodes, so that we can air them like we do with Teen Titans. And Just League Action is currently airing at 6.30 in the morning on Saturday morning where nobody ever actually watches it. And they're not even airing two episodes back-to-back in that, you know, 30-minute block. They're only airing one 15-minute episode at 6.30 in the morning. It's ridiculous. So, needless to say, anybody who's a fan of DC projects, whether, the, you know, TV projects, animated stuff, they know that Cartoon Network has been a bad place for that stuff outside of Teen Titans Go!, which continues to be one of Cartoon Network's most successful shows. Weird. So the idea was, well, when they announced Young Justice, it was like, well, let's just hope to God that it doesn't go to Cartoon Network because it'll get screwed over yet again. Knowing that they have every intention of putting on this streaming service, that leaves a lot of opportunities for them to do other things. Um, you know, Stella mentioned a animated Gotham Academy show. I could see something like that. I would never want to see a live action show for really? Gotham Academy because the problem is I don't, I feel like it would end up having to be in like the same vein as like some of those Disney channel live action shows where it's just like half hour, you know, like sitcom type shows, but it's mm. not like, it's not really like it's meant to be funny, yeah, but it's not really that funny. And Gotham Academy. Yes. It has its lighter moments, but it's not a funny book. It's not supposed to be comedy. It's supposed to be, you know, adventure to a degree would you say um, it's a dramedy no i wouldn't even go that far yeah, okay. mm-hmm. but anyways i mean like an animated show or one of the things i really hope they bring back with the creation of the streaming service is the shorts that they were doing for dc nation like six years ago when dc nation that block that they said this is going to come to cartoon network we're going to have a dc nation block every saturday morning and at the time it was uh green lantern the animated series and young justice 
And then, and then there was these two shorts that would air in between episodes or in the commercials or whatever for a variety of different things. There's all kinds of interesting ones, but some of the ones that I distinctly remember being really good for shorts was there was this Princess Amset series uh, that told, like, reimagined the origin of Princess Amset, which I knew nothing really about. I knew she was a character. Uh, in the DC universe, but I didn't know anything about her. They reimagined her character and they basically gave her a new origin to make more sense with, in today's world. And it was like a series where like every week for a couple weeks in a row, they would air like these short three minute shorts in between, you know, the episodes that were airing and it worked perfectly. And I could see something like that working very well on a streaming service where they don't have to necessarily, it doesn't have to be a full series. It could just be, short, you know, maybe a short 30, 45 minute episode that, you know, introduces the characters, gives a little bit of a story, but then you don't have to have another episode for quite a while. Um, For Gotham Academy, I see like that could be something that could work perfectly. And I actually remember during some of the, um, during some of the exit interviews with some of the creative team behind Gotham Academy, they actually made some sort of comment that, said something in regards of, you know, we're leaving the characters open and available to be used in a variety of different forms of media. And I immediately thought to myself, well, isn't it interesting that that could be something that we end up seeing, especially with the idea of like Batman or Batman characters randomly appear just like they did in the comic book. It would be a cool thing to just have something, you know, where you don't have to have like an established thing. It's just these characters that live in the world of the Batman universe. I think they should. They could do a lot of cool stuff. The fact that they're actually making a live action show, though, um, I mean, that means there's got to be some cash for this service, right? Oh yeah, like there's definitely. And the thing is, like, you actually like this is a really interesting thing. So the boomerang thing, it's like three ninety nine a month, or it's like a discounted rate if you pay up front. I think it's like a dollar off a month or something like that, or it's like thirty dollars or thirty six dollars or something a month or a year if you do it ahead of time. The thing is, when you start doing the calculations, if you have, when you look at like Netflix and people pay like roughly, if they're just streaming eight dollars or something a month, but twelve bucks. I have Netflix. If you really want, like, yeah, I have, and I have, yeah, and I have the twelve dollars subscription too for Netflix yeah. because you get the Ultra HD and you get as Multiple many screens locations. as you want. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, so there's that aspect of it. But the thing is, like, if you were paying, let's just say, like. $6 a month, which is what a lot of the normal streaming services that aren't nearly as big as like Netflix and stuff. That's the normal price that a lot of them are charging. If you're paying $6 a month and you've got, let's say somewhere in the neighborhood of like a hundred thousand subscribers, that's a lot of money every single month. $600,000 is a lot of money. And then you do that by 12, you end up with $7.2 million a year that you, you, you can use to basically do whatever you want with the sh- with shows and that's only a hundred thousand. You start getting up into like you know, obviously Netflix would be much much higher, but Netflix has like something like fifty million users or something like that who are potentially paying ten dollars a month, where they're rolling in five hundred million dollars every single month that they can use towards programming it and securing rights to other projects and things like that. So I mean, like it's mind boggling. And when you look at Netflix, it's a perfect example of how. You know, they start off with just a couple original shows. Now they have an original show, movie, or documentary released almost every Friday. It's insane yeah, how much stuff they have. They have a ton of programming on there. 
Just, I mean, a ton. I'm always finding something new on there that I'm like, oh man, that's this looks awesome. And then I always get concerned because it's like, is there going to be a second season? I hope so. I really don't think they could do. Like, you don't think DC could do with their service what Netflix did for Marvel? Which, with that, I mean the whole Defenders universe. You don't think they could do like a whole universe? There's no reason they couldn't. True. I mean, they got the yeah. I mean, because even when you look at shows like the CW shows, which are all on the CW, sure, but it's still all Warner Brothers projects. Warner Brothers is the ones who are you know producing and distributing that those projects on CW. That yes, Warner Brothers also owns fifty percent of CW as well. But the thing is, like their their characters there's no reason they couldn't jump from one to the other, you know, things like that. Like if they wanted to like switch it up, I don't see why they couldn't. I mean, there was talk at the time of the TNT potentially being in that same Arrowverse as well. So, I mean, like there's all kinds of possibilities. Obviously the more people who subscribe, the more money they have, the more things they can do saying that they're going to immediately launch with two serve, you know, two exclusive things like a Titan series and this, uh, and the new season of Young Justice, it's that's cool by itself because I mean I'd sign up for it just for Young Justice, honestly. But I can't wait to see what else they end up rolling into it because when the Boomerang launched, I kept saying to my wife, I was like, or when they announced Boomerang, which was back in I think like mid February, I kept saying I can't, I can't wait to see what they have on this because I can't find any old classic cartoons without buying extremely overpriced DVD DVDs, versions yeah. of of stuff that released, you know, over 10, 15 years ago. And now studios aren't putting out the, you know, that stuff as much as they are. They're doing it like the Warner archive where it's, they're printing it on demand where it's not the same quality, but you're paying an exorbitant amount of money. And I love to see, you know, the old stuff. And even when it comes to the potential with this DC streaming service, see what they could do with some of the old TV series and things like that. Because like when you go to Netflix, there are, they still have Just League Unlimited on there. They still have Young Justice. There's other shows that are on there on a normal basis. I think right now there's The Batman is on there right now too. But like Batman the Animated Series is, has never, or hasn't been on there in a year, in a couple of years. Yeah, it's over on Amazon Prime right now. So like, you know, knowing that, you know, they have deals, but the stuff is always changing. If you could potentially go online and have Amazon, Netflix, and DC at any point in time watch any of the digital, you know, any of the the DC series, that would be awesome. Be amazing. Oh, I buy it. Yeah, because yeah. normally these services, the independent services, are three to six dollars a month. Yeah, you know. So I'm all in. Anyway, that was a little off topic, but and I'm sure DC will reach out to all great Batman comic book podcasts and give complimentary memberships for us to enjoy their stuff. That would be amazing. Just saying. All right. Next comment comes from Jessica. I'm with you guys regarding King's writing. I think he has a great style, but he doesn't seem to know how to handle plot structures. The whole Martha thing would have been great in a different context as it was beautifully written, but not as the end of an arc and not in a Bane storyline. With Grayson, what King and Seely had was more a more loose structure in terms of arcs. I don't think their main focus was to have Spiral shut down, but rather to have short stories with Spiral as the background. It was similar to what Dixon had with his Nightwing run. He left the book without ever getting to close out to get rid of Blockbuster. 
It's, it is hard to identify specific story arcs in both cases, and both derailed when the titles were passed on to other writers. I wish DC would pair them together again. I think they balanced each other out. Despite really wanting to, I haven't really liked any of the Nightwing or Batwing, Batman arcs up until now. And hey, you should open more space for Stella to comment on art. She always sounds so apologetic when she does it. Don't be, Stella. I agree with you that Takara's inks are often too much heavy. Well, I will say I will give Stella as much time as she'd like to to talk about it. Thanks. Now we come to Ian's comment. And no offense to Ian, but it seemed like he was writing a giant book. So I'm going to break this up in a variety of different areas so that we can discuss things because it's going to be a long read. So. First up, regarding dark days, matters, nights, whatever, I loathe event comics. Rebirth is shaping up to be a rare event that I'm not hating, mostly because it's interested in telling a strong story with a few central characters rather than trying to service the entire universe equally. Add to that I just don't like Snyder doing big stories at all. His Joker stories are incredibly implausible. Batman and Joker constantly pull out the exact gambit necessary rather than actually reacting in a plausible way. The Court of Owls was incredibly at atmospheric idea that took way, way too long and devolved into a diluted collection of villains who have nowhere near the creepiness or power they should, even in the otherwise quite strong Batman number 51. They just felt weak rather than threatening. I hope it will not cause too many changes in a negative way to the titles, which are going strong. DC just announced a bunch of series spinning out of Dark Days called Dark Matter. And I think that this is a bad idea. All the spinoffs of Snyder events, Talons, uh, Talon, Valentine's Catwoman, Arkham Manor have not really caught on despite Snyder's popularity. All right, so let's talk about that real quick. Um, I definitely agree. A lot of the stuff that is spun out of Snyder's work has not caught on. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that DC sees how Snyder's books sell extremely well. There are plenty of concepts that can be explored and DC decides to try to cash in on those ideas by releasing tie-in series like Arkham Manor, like Catwoman, you know, branching off and doing the the role that it played after Snyder's run. Also, Talon's a perfect example of that. None of those last for very long. Now, Arkham Manor didn't last as long as it should have because of concerns with the writer who was on the book. He ended up going exclusive to Marvel and couldn't, could no longer write the series. But uh, Talon is a perfect example of, they just didn't have a direction of where they were going with that. The idea was good either. It wasn't. And the thing was like, I don't, I I can't figure out what the intent was meant to be. Like what was the, if the intent was just to keep the court of owls, like in the minds of people until, you know, Snyder decided to pick, pick it back up. I don't know when that eventually was going to happen because it never really did. So I don't really know what the intent was, but I think the biggest thing is I'm not looking at the, the dark matter stuff, which we haven't talked about because it's not pairing, it's not tying into DC comics, but basically the gist is if you don't know what it is, dark Knights metal after that launches, there's going to be like six series that are going to launch coming out of dark Knight metal which has to do with a variety of new characters that are being completely introduced from scratch. They have writers teamed with artists, big artists names like Jim Lee and uh, John, John Romita Jr. Um, Greg Capullo is involved in some capacity. Andy Kubert. My point is they have these artists and they're, they're having, they're pitching ideas back and forth between the writers and artists. They're really trying to bring the artists 
to a larger forefront with the ideas of uh, you know creating characters and having the, involved in the creative process of characters. Now the problem is this: when you look at history, history, you know, creating new characters and such, it doesn't tend to always work. Now that's not Ever. to say it can't work. But it doesn't just it doesn't tend to work very well. The other problem I have is that honestly, when I he- when I heard the idea of we're creating a bunch of new characters from scratch, they're not tied into the DC universe at all right now. You've never seen any of these characters. You will when you read Scott Snyder's book. But after that, you're going to see these characters spin out into their own series. And the first thing I kept I, I immediately thought to myself was. Why are they being announced as series and not mini series? Because that's just setting it up to potentially fail in the long run by not saying, "Hey, we're just doing six issues. We're going to see what works and then go from there." Um, because that always makes sense, by the way. Yeah, because they they've done this in the past where they've said, "We're going to do this. We're going to we're going to launch." I mean, like look at DCU back in 2015. We're going to launch and we're going to have all these characters and they're going to all have their own books. But then six months in, we're going to realize that half these characters can't hold their own books, and then we're going to be you know ending them very quickly. And it's going to be like, wait, what? I don't want them to go that route because I like the idea of being able to give new characters a chance. Um, obviously I'm, I'm more on the line of, I liked my characters that already exist, have existed for years, but there's nothing wrong with creating new characters, especially if they're interesting. I can't say that I'm going to get fully invested in them, but like a character like mother panic that has, you know, just taken up a residence in Gotham city. You know, we have characters from the Batman universe, uh, you know, appear occasionally I've been reading it. It's an enjoyable book. It's gotten a lot better in the last couple of issues because we're finally getting somewhere. So, I mean, like there's, you could do that route, but going the route of these are just completely from scratch characters. I immediately thought of, you know, the mid 90 or the early nineties with the uh, creation of image, all those creators who are specifically artists that were coming up with all these ideas for new series. And when you look at that, what still is around from back then? I mean, there's not much that's still around. Even the stuff that we think of that being around isn't like yeah. one of the like think about one of the big characters back then was Voodoo. There's no Voodoo book. Like if you point to the success of that era, people were always like, "Oh, Voodoo." Uh, there's no Voodoo book. Remember they tried to put Voodoo in as part of uh, New Fifty Two when oh. they did the reboot, and it failed spectacularly. So I think that whenever you do this, like it's always catch twenty two. We're always saying, "Give me new stuff," but then no one ever buys new stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and Ian talks here about the Scott Snyder effect with the spinoffs. I think the very basic thing of that was pretty simple. There are a lot of people, I don't know anyone like this, <clears throat> that are uh, big fans of Scott Snyder's writing. And I'm a fan of Snyder's writing. I don't want to go read Talon, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't translate. Like, I'm not, it's just, and I think that was the problem. If you're a fan of Snyder's, you are not going to read about those characters just because he created them. It just, especially when the follow-ups were really bad. Like yeah. the talent, the talent book was bad, you know? So I think that's the problem is that you can't capture the follow of a writer by, you know, without having him actually write the stuff. Yeah. And I think the, the other thing with the idea of like creating new characters is that like, there's this mentality that like, when you look at a lot of like the creator own series that, you know, do successfully, they're not they're not selling near the numbers that a book has to sell in order to be successful at a company like DC. No, they're just not. Yeah. And that's the problem. Like a creator owned series can do amazing. 
but it's a creator owned series. It doesn't need to sell, you know, 30,000 copies every single month in order to do well. When you introduce brand new characters, you're not going to get a book to sell 30,000 copies. I mean, you might because of the big name artist that's attached to it for the first issue, but it's going to drop off. And then suddenly you're sitting there in a boat where, wait, we've got six brand new series that are launching and nobody's picking them up. There is so many books out there that, I mean, I find this to be true for myself sometimes. I would always like to read more of the smaller stuff, but the reality is there is so much books from the main universe with these two times a month, two Batman, two Detective, two, two, like, you just don't have time to grab these characters unless there's a really compelling reason to care about them. Why would you? All right. So moving on with Ian's comment, Gotham Academy's cancellation is sad, but they're almost at 30% of the cancellation levels. I hope they're going to go the original graphic novel route like Dustin Wen's Secret Hero Society. I think that's a much better market for this type of story. Uh, just so those people who out there, uh, Dustin Wen's Secret Hero Society is not actually a graphic novel, but more of a young adult novel that's released through uh, an outside publisher. It's not actually it's novel novel. comics. Yeah, it's a novel yeah. novel with illustration, sure, but it's not a graphic novel. I don't think that uh, an original graphic novel would necessarily be that bad of an idea. No. I think that that actually would actually make more sense, give the artist more time. I honestly don't understand why there isn't more one shots, you know, prestige format graphic novels like there was back 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Like it seems like they've just not, they're not doing that nearly as much as they should, especially with some of these characters that don't have the ability to like sell in a massive amount of comics. It just seems like that would make the most sense. Like go the route of just, you know, the, the, you know, the, the small graphic novels, the prestige format graphic novels where they're not like, you know, Batman Earth One, where it's like super thick, but it could still tell a story and still be a you know a reasonable price. You know, give me sixty pages of story or seventy five pages of story for like ten bucks. That's that's a completely reasonable amount. I agree. All right, the button is an interesting beast. I think there's a chance that Bruce and Barry will discover something about Mister Oz, but I seriously doubt much more will happen. I think the most likely thing for rebirth is that January, 2018 will get some kind of ramp up, whether a limited series or a line wide time type of thing to the two year anniversary of the DC universe rebirth, which will conclude the Watchmen storyline. Give given the push for Snyder's event in August. I don't think we're going to get any more of the rebirth type things until at least late fall of this year to talk about Tom King's Batman for a bit. It's funny. I don't really love what King's accomplishing with his titles, but I do think it's extremely well-structured. In this case, every issue is doing during one day, which means that an epilogue doesn't really fit. Scott Snyder likes to let a story grow organically. If you listen to his interviews, he's often talking about how he planned something, and then something just changed that plan. This leads to Snyder's stories that expand like a pot boiling, Something in, sometimes in a good way. I'd argue his work on Batman Eternal was an example of this. And more often bad, the way Super Heavy handled the Jim Bat storyline, for example, which I still think is good, but clearly has massive pacing issues and a clunky climax. What King is showing with his last issue of I Am Bane isn't just a recap, nor is it just a fight. It's an answer to the question he raised with the last two issues. He's built our sympathy for Bane. Batman has hurt him unnecessarily in his attack during I Am Suicide, but the thing that's highlighted in Martha's narrative and Bruce's reaction is that though both of them reacted to similar trauma to become who they are, Bane is ultimately selfish. 
He wants to rule for himself. Batman, for all his flaws, including an intense selfishness that manifests in the way he tries to control his family, fundamentally wants to help others, not make himself a ruler. Big reason why I don't understand claims that Batman is a fascist. Are there problems with King's arcs stretching back to I Am Gotham? Yes, starting with what is the death of Batman you promised. But I think that I Am Bane has an extremely intentional and effectomatic ending. All of the questions about the Robins and the Catwoman stuff, those will all be answered in the epilogue after the button. I have no doubt. But fundamentally, King has written a trilogy that should be called I Am Batman because it explores who Batman is. Does it tell us anything new? No. But how many writers have really told us something new about Batman in the 75 plus years? Batman is the man who helps drive us in the dark. He's crazy for thinking he can. St- he's crazy for thinking he can stop crime, but he but he does stop crime every night to steal from a great backup story drawn by Tim Sale, I believe. I'm curious: is there a huge amount of controversy around King? But what are the sales like for his run? It's my impression that he's been keeping them mostly up. So even though people aren't necessarily as gung-ho about them as they are for Scott Snyder and Morrison, though I personally am enjoying King more than either one of them, I don't think it's killing sales. All right, well, I'll stop there and, and talk about that. So sales numbers, they're they're not bad by any means, They're but they're not on par with what's, what uh, Scott Snyder they're was not, doing. Yeah, they're not Snyder numbers. Yeah, yeah Snyder was averaging between 100 to 120K per issue. And Big numbers, yeah. Right now, I think Batman's averaging around like 85K. So, I mean, like that, I mean, like, but when you put in perspective, 85K and you've got two issues every month, that ends up being 170K of issue, you know, per per month for Batman. So, if they're looking at it from that perspective, sure, it's doing really amazing, but it's not doing as well as, as, uh, Snyder or Morrison for that matter, because I think Morrison's, Morrison did pretty issues, good sales. Yeah, yeah, his sales were pretty good too, but. I think the biggest thing is when you look at comics in general, King started out much higher, but his sales have, the numbers have been going down and it's not like a dramatic drop or anything, but they're slowly, slowly going down. And it's probably, you know, right in the range of like normal, what's the word I'm looking for? It's the atrophy that happens with, with new. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It it just, it just, that's what happens. The numbers slowly start to go down. Then something happens where it's a giant boost. They're still top 10 comics. Oh yeah. Like, you know, yeah, Batman is still continuously in the top 10 normally, so it's not like it's not selling. All right, so then uh, to wrap up Ian's comment, I disagree with the mashed potatoes model of current continuity. I think we have three arrows, three arrows that are currently important to keep separate in our minds. Pre-Flashpoint, New 52, and Rebirth. Rebirth clearly shows the Watchmen interference, which means there's a connection between Pre-Flashpoint and New 52, but they're not identical. The different directions in characters are more indicative of a company policy than an in-universe merging of reality. Lastly, regarding detective comics, I don't agree with the inks. The inks are too heavy. I think the thick, very brush-like stroke lines are deliberate. They create a very dramatic effects that are quite pleasing. With regards to the retcon about Roz wiping Batman's memory, I think it was actually really smart. I seriously doubt that Tynion will lean on this crutch too much, but it feels exactly in character with Roz. It propels us into Zatanna's involvement in the next arc. It's no worse than Morrison trying to tell us that everything that ever happened in the Golden and Silver Age Batman comics was the result of drugs, in my mind. Lastly, there's no way that Cass is killing anyone. Tynion knows and loves Cass too much for that. I have, as far as this goes, I 
agree that there are three separate continuities, but I still feel as if New 52 was blending some of the old stuff with new stuff. It wasn't a complete redo of everything. So in some ways, I don't agree with the mashed potato way that <laughs> I described it because it doesn't make any sense to me. And then it still doesn't make any sense to me now because I don't look at mashed potatoes as a conglomeration of multiple potatoes turned into one. There are so many better things. Like you could say like making a cake with three separate ingredients. That would make a lot more sense in my mind, but okay, that's just how my mind works. Chocolate cake with vanilla icing and sprinkles. Anyway. So uh, that being said, I, I do look at it as there was some sort of group of stuff that was combined. They're content. Here's, here's my thing about the three. You guys may be right about your idea that there is three separate continuities. I'm just saying they haven't made it clear. Like rebirth is still very murky on how it affected the world. We really only had the one shot. You know what I'm saying? And I agree. And I, but the problem is like, even going back to new 52, they still never actually said this is a, okay, this is, this is happened. It's yeah, flashpoint happened. And they said, this is, you know, we're, we're changing stuff, but that was like them as a publishing company saying we're changing stuff. Yeah. Flashpoint came back and there were sudden, you know, like subtle changes that happened here and there. And they said, these are subtle changes. But as far as the comics went, there was never any sort of like acknowledgement that time had disappeared. Anything was really like, oh, this is very different. Did we actually like, I didn't read the Flash book during the New 52, but Flash, who knew how things used to ha- used to be before he went back in Flashpoint, wasn't walking around saying, hey, you know what? This is different. That wasn't like that before. I mean, but with Rebirth, we're distinctly having people say, this is not the way it was. This something's wrong here. And that's where I think it's 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 weird because I feel like in some ways the new 52 was like a it was like a gap of time that nobody really wants to even acknowledge existed. I mean, obviously it did, but they're just ignoring and saying we had Flashpoint, we had this five years that some people thought was good. Some people thought was bad, but in some ways didn't make a lot of sense with the overall history of our entire company. So now we're going to do rebirth and kind of explain why things could have changed in that time frame without actually acknowledging that that stuff was happening in the first place. I just think they've mucked it up pretty bad again. It's true. It's very true. Yeah. All right. Our last comment comes from Glenn. He says, so I came here wondering if anyone else was having problems listening on iTunes. Guess not. Every time I try to listen, it tells me that the podcast is unavailable at this time. I am sad. I am sad as well, Glenn. I I feel bad that you were unable to get the episode. I did see that your follow-up comment ended up saying that you uh, were able to eventually get it. I hope that by the time this episode releases, this has been resolved, but uh, there's been some issues with the hosting company for the website where the site has been loading extremely slowly. And I know that iTunes, when you're trying to download an episode, if it there's a there's a certain point where it says it's unavailable and it's because it times out. And iTunes has a much lower time allotment for timeouts than like an actual web browser. If that happens, uh, all I can suggest is just keep trying. Uh, if anybody else is out there who's having issues, I apologize. Uh, we obviously are trying to make sure that we have as much happening on the site for you guys to see. And we obviously want you to see all of the stuff that we're producing. Um, We're pretty caught up with news at this point on the site as well. Um, So 
we're, you know, working with the hosting company to try, but that's one of the downfalls of being on a very tight, tight budget. So I suggest that you would su- support us on Patreon where we potentially, if we had enough, could maybe jump ship to a better hosting company where we wouldn't have these issues um, in the future. So that's, that's all I can suggest at this point is uh, as uh, uh, preachy as that may be, just support us on Patreon or give us a single donation using the PayPal button on the website. So that being said, that is all of our listener Q and A's. So uh, I, at this point, just head over to the website, check out all the news and editorials related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer uh, while you're listening to this. There's new episodes of Back of the Oracle, Everyone Loves the Drake, Bat Fans, and uh, Bruce Wayne's World. Uh, but as far as Bat Books for Beginners, the latest episode that is releasing is uh, Batman War Drums. Uh, that's the next episode that you'll be able to hear uh, this come this coming Tuesday. So take a look for that. Um, there's also an episode that posted last two weeks ago that you that you may have not seen, which is Batman as the Crow Flies. So take a look at those. Uh, be always looking out for the episodes. Bat Books for Beginners. There's two episodes that release every single month at this point. So take a look at that. In addition to that, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all these news and videos from the Batman universe. Um, also leave us reviews in iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And of course, leave your comments for this episode on the podcast post on the website. And we will be sure to read your comments on the next episode. With that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Frogger. And we have been the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Hey.